to just kind of, you know, talk about, you know, things as usual, like, you know, not uh, like stuff going on. And, and I think one of the things that makes, you know, kind of podcasting kind of, kind of interesting or different is you get a lot, a lot of different perspectives. And you and I have some perspectives, you know, that are different and unique from, I think a lot of other people out there, you know, you have like, you know, people that are, you know, that are political, um, that are in that political sphere, that are in journalism, people that are, you know, in media and different stuff like that. And then you have some other people that are, that are like big on social media, but I'm not on social media. I don't think you really are either. No, nothing more than Reddit, to be honest. Uh, I think that mostly the problem with like a lot of the old type media, which why I think podcast is kind of killing it, is that most people I don't think they have like a general idea on how they feel for certain situations, but it, it's too, either the, the subjects are too complex or maybe they're not set in stone on their ideas. And so hearing a podcast, you know, whether it's the big ones or, or, you know, a Jordan Peterson kind of scenario where they listen for like an hour or two, it might give them new perspective. And I think that that's really what's lacking in some of the, the, the older style media is usually, like you said, they come in with a discussion point. They're like A, B, and C, 20 second soundbite, and then they're out of there. And you don't really learn anything. It just kind of solidifies like, oh, I already had my opinion. So I'm going to go here and I'm going to reinforce it. Yeah. I, I've watched quite a few podcasts uh, recently where I'll have an idea or like we were talking about earlier with uh, with these cases coming through the the. Uh, the Navy and the army and stuff related to vaccine mandates. And I'll have an opinion and then I'll hear something different. I'm like, well, you know, I guess that you're not wrong or maybe it challenges my point of view. And I prefer that because I, I feel like when people just kind of anchor in, then there's no room to develop. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, that's right. I think, you know, so when I was a kid growing up, my dad listen to talk radio all the time and he always had on Rush Limbaugh and Rush Limbaugh was like a big impact on me as a kid growing up because even though you know my dad was listening to it being eight nine ten you know being a teenager listening to that same stuff over and over again when he was kind of like an early pioneer of that type of long form because he was on the radio for two hours at a time yeah of course he would pair up talking points and stuff like that but his was still kind of that's kind of yeah it was still structured um but you know, I think um, I, I think one of the, the big issues is most of the news that people hear, unless they research it, is nothing more than headlines. And they don't really get into the substance of it, which is, I think, why we have a lot of problems um, you know, today with you know, just ha- having issues of people being ill-informed is yeah. because, for one, the stuff they're being fed, you know, is what I've coined the term is nothing more than news, which is essentially, you know, drive through media drive through news. It's cheapest, non-nutritious type of, you know, type of stuff available. And people have finally gotten something that's, 
legitimate and real for the first time. They're like, wow, this actually tastes better, you know? So it's the same type of thing going on, I think. So. Well, and I, and I think that like when people talk about stuff, it doesn't matter if it's something that's controversial or if it's something that's just kind of uh, educational, it always seems like what I've, at least what I've noticed is that subjects that may not have had extreme points of view um, or, or maybe like 80 to 90% of the people genuinely or generally agree on kind of a centrist point of view is that it solidifies the extremist portions. So it's like anything related to something like say abortion, you have people that probably, and I'm just kind of hypothesizing here, but somewhere in the middle where it's like, oh, well, in cases of, you know, uh, rape that, uh, there should be some kind of opportunity for a person to exercise, uh, the right to, to have an abortion. And there's, I think a lot of people, whether it's right or left would kind of meet in the middle on these extreme cases. Maybe it's, you know, the, the life of the mother, stuff like that. But what ends up happening is that you get majority of the, uh, the news, the, the main news media has these 30 second clips. And then all you're going to do is have people where it's like, well, if you don't agree, it's kind of like the two party system. If you don't agree with this person, you might as well be voting for that person. Mm-hmm. And so it, it just fractures down the middle where it's like, you're either 100% against or you're 100% for it. And there's, I think a lot more people in the middle where they're, they don't, they, they don't necessarily think that blanket approach is okay. I, and hopefully, uh, you know, maybe getting rid of this uh, trauma style uh, reporting where everything's got to be about what's the next catastrophe. How do we keep you, you know, get, get you mainlined into our type of news media. Uh, hopefully that, that model is dying away and and maybe we'll see something um, past podcasting past these um, that is kind of like you're talking about that was structured in the, the Rush Limbaugh sort of format, but is designed to explore the ideas a little bit more um in depth and then start introducing. I remember seeing a Joe Rogan podcast some uh, before the, the last election and he had Bernie Sanders on and he was asking him a bunch of questions like, Oh man, I'm hearing points of views. Like I'm not a big Bernie supporter, but I was hearing points of views. I'm like, yeah, you know, I think he had some valid points when it came to, to reigning in wall street and these billionaire hedge funds. And so yeah. I, I, it's one of those things. I think it's like, we get drug into the system of, of, uh, you know, binary choice where you either choose Donald Trump and you choose Joe Biden. And I think that there's a lot of people in the middle that are like, can we choose neither? How come these are our options? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. The, the solution, like the, it seems to me that like the, the way that we come to the person that's ahead of the party or at the national level has to go through such a process to get there that by the end of it the process breaks you know the the person that we select um or it's broken in such a way to where the people that come out of it are not the people that we need because it's intended to be that way it's and it's that process was never intended to pick the best leader it was it was it was intended to pick the the leader that has the most political power or has most control over the culture you know it's 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 not a very good system (laughs) no no i I, in fact i told my in-laws about our conversation about the uh the board of governors and i thought 
it's not something I've heard anyone else discuss. And obviously I think it, it will never happen just because the sheer yeah. uh, amount of support you'd have to get either a convention of states or something that removes the office of the presidency and makes it more like an executive governing body. Um, yeah. it, it, it won't ever happen. But I, I think that it's, it's like observing the fact that the federal government's become so massive and the executive branch has become so uh, not only powerful, but it's, it's cumbersome, whether it's red tape for people trying to, to drill or, or FDA, you know, drug licensing and stuff like that. It's like the, the thing is so massive that how do you expect one person to take the job and then refer people as the heads of these departments and then become subject matter professionals in four years? They can't. Yes. Yeah, so I, <laughs> I was talking to them about that. I'm like, I absolutely do not think that uh, it's a job that any one person should have. And there's got to be a better way. Uh, you know, clearly our, our, our system of government's better uh, in, in relationship to the individual's uh, freedom and liberty per the time it was created. But there's yeah. got to be some other way that we can develop this where it, it serves more people than it does now. But um, yeah, I... I I want to skip a little bit away from politics, though, because I, I was going to uh, tell you I, I had to deal with the uh, I got on, on the, the horn today with my um, my clinic. So I'll be getting sent out uh, Friday. They're, we're going to be doing the uh, umbilical surgery. OK, well, so hopefully that'll be you know smooth sailing. It should be about an hour long. Not a big deal. Yeah, we uh, I, I got off the horn with Jess. So we were trying to schedule all the things for. Uh, you know, the taxes and stuff like that to be scheduled around that. And I'll, I'll be unable to, I have to coordinate working to get my, my dad to come out, uh, trying to do some of the renovations on the house while simultaneously, I'm going to be put on a six week limited movement, limited, uh, lifting, uh, activity kind of thing. So I'm like, I don't know how I'm supposed to, to, to do any of this, uh, this housework. I'm like, ah, oh, okay. Can't pick up anything over 15 pounds. Cool. <laughs> Yeah, you're not going to be able to do anything, man. You're going to have to make your kids work and, right. and try to exploit that free child labor you currently have. So, um. You guys are two and a yeah. half hours away. I'm going to try to exploit your kids for labor, too. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, I think she's looking at uh, somewhere around April or maybe uh, end of April, early May, something like that. Um, is kind of the estimated timeline, but I don't know. I, I think it feels a little overwhelming for her right now. Not quite sure. Um, not quite sure how that's going to pan out. And I don't know if the energy is necessary to put in it right now, just because it's so far out. Yeah, I um, yeah. Um. <clears throat> so uh, have, have you? Do heard you that? think? Uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, 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 you go I was just going to ask if you and your uh, dad had made any plans yet with the boat to go out and do any fishing or anything. Um, well, uh, the plan is, is I should be able to pay for the tag of my next pay cycle, um, which I've got a couple grand saved up for that already. I've just paid like $3,500 for that. But, uh, so I'll have that done. And once that's done, I get all the um, registration information done. 
um, I could probably have it out on the water in the next two weeks. And on top of that, I've also been trying to get all the required, you know, life jackets and anchors and all that stuff in. I'm still waiting on my anchor to come in. Um, I just got some more equipment in today. So, um, you know, that'll be here in good time. And uh, I've been doing a lot of reading because so there's still a lot of stuff about boating that I'm new to. And I've always been on boats. My families have boats, but I've never been in charge of. There's always all this little nuance stuff, like those drain plugs you got to make sure. And since it's twin engine, um, <clears throat> you know, there's in case one of the engine goes down, there's some different things you got to do if you have to run on a single engine. Um, and, and for people that are end up listening to this, uh, I, I recently bought a, a Yamaha uh, center console uh, fishing boat um, and uh, looking forward to, you know, taking my family out on it and stuff like that and do fishing and tubing. Do you um, have to uh, go and take any kind of uh, exams or anything to register the boat in Oklahoma? Well, there was a, a boating safety course that I, that I did online uh, last week. Paid some money, registered for it, went through all the training. I'm glad I did. I I did it for you know insurance purposes, um, but I'm also really glad I did it because there was a lot of really good information on it um, that you know I didn't think about. But um, but yeah, so um, I did that, and um, I'm on some of these uh, forums. Um, I think I'm on JetBoaters.net, and they have some really 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 good. Um, um, you know, resources and stuff for people that are getting into boating for the first time, you know, like boating checklists, pre-launch checklists. And I'm, and I'm big on checklists from, you know, doing work in army aviation stuff. There's a lot of pre-flight checklists, post-flight checklists we're going to go through. So um, I really like doing that type of stuff. So, yeah. <clears throat> but, yeah, I only had that, uh, that 87 glass drawn and it was a, a small ski boat that it only kind of hung out in the lake water. I mean, it would be fine in uh, salt water, but compared to what you've got going on there, I was just wondering if you had plans to go down and, and launch it in the Gulf or something and go do some fishing, like what kind of, if you take a safety course in Oklahoma, is there any kind of things you got to worry about, like launching a boat in a different state than the one it's similar? Like um, I imagine how cars work. Like if you get it registered in Oklahoma, you can drive it anywhere, but how does yeah. that work with, uh, you know, any kind of Coast Guard or maritime laws or stuff? I, I don't know how that works. So is there anything that you've seen that, like, you have to uh, to let the Coast Guard yeah. know if you're, you know, driving out past a certain distance to go fishing or something? There are some stuff like that. Um, I'm still learning about it. Um, but there is definitely a difference for, you know, you know, going out in a lake versus going out in salt water. Um, there's a bunch of like navigational stuff that's different. So, um, you know, there's, um, a lot of like all the buoys and stuff that you see out there on the water, um, are a little different when you're in navigable waters, like in rivers and stuff like that, or anything in salt water that, you know, that you're some different rules and stuff that you have to follow. So, I mean, it's essentially like, there's a, there's an entirely different set of road signs and yeah. understanding where the road is, um, essentially on, you know, in those, on those waterways, um, some stuff you have to know, which was in that course, um, <clears throat> which I didn't know prior to, which I'm glad I kind of learned. Um, there's also some other safety stuff you have to have, um, depending on the size of your boat, where you put it in. But typically, one of the things that's recommended if you're going to go out in salt water and do any sort of offshore stuff, they recommend you have a VHF radio and 
register your boat with the Coast Guard, yeah. you know, so that in case you know, there's an issue, you know, they can they can find you. Um, and uh, there's there's just some different stuff like that. So I don't plan on doing any of that anytime soon. Yeah. I'm going to be just dealing with lakes for now. And maybe eventually if I uh, feel confident enough, I'll take it out in the Gulf. Um, but, you know, that's, that's not anytime soon. No. Well, I mean, I, yeah, I just, I, I imagine that there'd be some kind of, um, whether it's a registration sticker or something like that, whether you have to take the boat through for like, you know, uh, the inspection or to make sure that you're not leaking oils, anything like or leaking fluids um, to kind of orient you to the different, like you're talking about the channel markers and stuff like that. I just, I kind of imagine that, and you, you guys tend to move pretty quick. So when you want to do something, I, I figured you'd probably be out by, you know, end of summer or something like that. But, um, yeah, I, I figured you'd probably already have all those ducks in a row. Like you said, getting a check, making sure that your stuff's ready. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, I could, I just don't have confidence yet. Um, you know, once I feel confident with it and I feel good about it, um, I'll go out there, but I'm not in any rush to go out into the ocean and get eaten by a shark. <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> I, I'll, I'll tell you flat out now, uh, you're more than welcome to invite me, but when it comes to ocean, I just kind of stay away. If, if I'm not, <laughs> if I'm not piddling around at like, you know, six feet deep, I, I don't go past that. I can hardly stand it out in the lake, even though I know there's not, you know, there's nothing underneath me. I got to worry about getting my toes bitten. I just have that phobia. I'm like, yeah, I guarantee there's a shark under me right now. I understand this is fresh water, but. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like my kids. Dad, are there sharks in here? No, son. Are you sure? How do you know? Because it's like, but they could have got in. Yeah. Hey, you know what? I, it, it, that's why it's a phobia. It's It doesn't make sense. I used to have like, uh, uh, when I was younger, you know, the, the books you'd open up to is like a nonfiction you pop it open, you got a picture in there and I'd see pictures of sharks and I'd close the book. I'm like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> um, mind you, I mean, you, you guys did chase me around a restaurant with a lobster once, so I don't handle animals very well. That was, that was actually at my house. Well, and you, your dad did it at the store too. So did it must be so nice. He did it twice. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I think if I remember correctly, I think he did it at the store, thought it was funny and brought it back to the house. And then chased you around the house. Yeah. And I think the other thing was Allison. Allison. Yeah. I think Allison, she was like three. She had the lobster and she was chasing you around. He was screaming. Yeah. I think well, that's it's all fun and games till someone gets their, you know, their eye pinched out with by a lobster claw. <laughs> Ain't gonna be this guy. Uh, I, I just never been. A, I, I can't handle it. Like, even going through, like, uh, was it was it with you guys that we drove through that uh, nighttime petting zoo thing? Yeah, yeah. I, even getting that close, I'm like, all right, all right, whatever animal this is, get your head away from the window. Oh, these these cows are fucking scary. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't know so much about the cows, but you know, it's it's dark. I don't know what the heck that animal is. Giant emu. Take your cow. eyes out. <laughs> Oh. Yeah. So how are things going at work right now? Well, I'm off work now, uh, but uh, it is going. It's yeah. it's so slow that it is such a nice, um, I guess, difference from my previous job. Um, and like I said, you know, I did 
a decade's worth of, you know, increasing responsibility with the army and with the air force, you know, in the civilian capacity. And for the first time since I've kind of walked away from everything, I haven't been putting, I haven't been trying to like, you know, give myself more or try to climb up. Um, it's kind of just nice just to sit back and do a job and not worry about anything. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of weird. Um, you know, I'm trying to focus, instead of focusing on my career, I'm trying to focus on family and being happy now and uh, making sure my kids are happy and all that kind of stuff and taking care of things that, you know, I wouldn't say I've been neglectful, but have, have neglected, um, just just because like you had mentioned earlier, you're so, there's so much on your plate that you have to drop it all. You literally cannot do it all. Um, and so it's nice to actually having more than enough time to handle everything on my plate and have some time for myself. Um, it's been very refreshing. So, um, how's that, uh, that but, launch list of things you wanted to do, if you've been able to tick anything other than the, uh, the French drain off? Uh, yeah. Dude, I've, I've been blowing through my list of, of, of all the shit I've been needing to do for the past couple of years um, pretty quick. Um, I, you know, I, I still need to finish up that other French drain and uh, I need to add, uh, I need to look at some stuff on the first one that I started <clears throat> and uh, finish that up. But um, that and getting some dirt brought out to finish up my shooting range. Um, and then also I need to look at fixing some erosion, but, um, other than that, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm knocking out all my little projects left and right. Cause a lot of them weren't like expensive. A lot of them weren't, didn't take much time. It was like half a day's of work, but I had 50 things that all took half a day's work yeah. that you know, have been piling up. I've been able to slowly knock out cause I don't have a commute to work anymore or, or whatever. So it's been really nice. It's been a lot less stressful. Like one of the things I've been trying to do, and I could say I've also been trying to do this financially, is take a look at all the things that I have and just take care of all the low-hanging fruit first. And it's been it's been um, pretty nice or how how effective just taking out all the little low-hanging fruit, whether that's you know a bill, a debt, you know a project. And how much, how much less stress now I have in my life, um, being able to accomplish those things and get them out of the way and not have to think about them anymore because they're done. Yep. Yeah. When you, uh, when you put that French drain in, did you put anything like chicken wire or anything like that over it to kind of try to prevent the dogs from getting in there? Uh, I I put some of that stuff in um, around some of the other holes that they dug that I filled back in, but I have not done that yet with the drain. I didn't feel like I needed to just because it wasn't that deep. It's only about three or four inches deep, honestly. There's only about three or four inches of dirt above it. Um, but, but yeah, so I wasn't too worried about that. And plus they would eventually hit the, you know, the, the plastic um, corrugated pipe eventually. So they'd stop. Um, yeah, but it seems like it has helped out with some of the, the washout and stuff like that. So I, I, I tell you what, it's like, it seems like every time, whether you buy a house 
or it just maybe it's the generally the older you get, the more responsibility your life takes on. It feels like you have to be a, a subject matter expert in like 50 different fields, whether that's, you know, investing, you're filing your, your tax returns and managing, you know, home maintenance, uh, your, your kids education, as well as what laws protect you and things of that nature. Uh, it, it just, yeah, I think that's kind of where our conversation was earlier. I just, I feel like after a while, if there's some desire for sim simplification, because it's like, you know, you start doing something like, uh, <clears throat> whether it's reloading your own ammo or building your own furniture, because it's like, oh, well, you know, this thing is rather expensive from Ikea for what it is. I'd rather, you know, buy a table saw and some, you know, my own tools, build it myself. And then next thing you know, you've got this whole maintenance thing related to something you didn't anticipate. Like now that I got sawdust, if I don't dispose of it properly, it's going to attract carpenter ants or something like that. And uh, yeah, I just feel like that was kind of my, my mentality at the time is that there needs to be some level of, of streamlining, simplification, just might call it uh, scheduling that helps to make your life a little bit easier and kind of take some of the stress off of uh, the, the volume of things that are on your plate. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree with that. I think, um, I think there is, I mean, so part of the problems of being self-sufficient, like you said, is when you're self-sufficient, you have, you have to own the entire process as opposed to, you know, being part in a type of, agreement or arrangement to where, you know, you only get the thing, you don't own the entire process. So, you know, maybe you're the, the support of that is going to be a lot less, but when you want to be independent, you know, and kind of like know all these things, then there's a lot of the other, you know, other things, the tertiary things that you don't think about that now you have to, um, and a lot of that stuff adds up. So sometimes it's really a good idea to reassess everything you're doing from time to time. And, to try to cut out the waste and try to think about it. Is there a better way to do some of these things? Yeah. Um, so I, I think it was about, about two years ago. It, it might've been a little uh, earlier than that. Um, but I think that was the first time that I stopped looking at because there's plenty of things I can do that I don't need help on. You know, when it comes to like, when we were moving out of our house in California, um, you know, saved a ton of money just by doing all the cleaning ourselves. We went through that place with a fine tooth comb. And when it was done, it was immaculate. I mean, we, we, we did the, the re-scrubbed all the porcelain and all the sinks and the tubs and, and uh, just everything looked beautiful. And it took us probably 16, 14 hours, something after we got the whole place cleared out. I'm telling you, we were on our hands and knees, like scrubbing. I waxed the hardwood floors, you know, cleaned all the glass and all. The, and after it was done, <clears throat> I think it was one of the first times that I looked at it and I was like, I was getting paid 33, I think 33 an hour, or 32 an hour. And I looked at it like, Oh my God, that, that was hundreds of dollars in my, my labor. And I was like, I could have just paid somebody my time. I started looking at the amount of time it took to do something as being valuable uh, for the service that I was kind of trying to save myself on. And I think that was that, that kind of helped for me to change my perspective on when it comes to doing certain things like, if something like having someone come out and mow the yard out here, you know, two, two and a half acres mowed, 
and they clear out the brushes a hundred bucks an hour I'm, or a hundred bucks for the whole thing. I'm like, Oh, absolutely. I'm going to pay for that because that would be easily four hours on a Saturday. And it just isn't worth my time because that takes away, you know, my free time for my kids. So I think, was there a time recently for you or, or when was the first time that that popped up where you're like, I can do this, but I won't because it's not something that's worth my time. Um, well, I mean, there's definitely the things I don't have expertise in. I mean, that I could try to do and do them half-ass. Um, you know, um, you know, there was some stuff for my car, you know, so for my STI that I got. Um, so there was some of the work that I did on it myself. So I put a, I installed the exhaust system on it. Um, I installed my front mount intercooler. Um, and, you know, that involved, involved, you know, taking off the bumper, getting rid of the stock crash, OEM crash bar, putting a lightweight aluminum one, putting all the intercooler piping in. And I did all that work. Um, you know, I did some other stuff on it too. Um, <clears throat> and then, you know, I decided to go ahead and take it to a, a reputable shop. And, um, you know, it cost me a couple grand, um, but they did all the other stuff. And, uh, you know, I was happy about it because, you know, it was done right. They tuned everything. Um, they freaking detailed my car. It was all said and done. The whole experience was great. And that, that thing would have set in my shop for six months. Me trying to find time to do it after work. Yeah. And, you know, it took them a week and uh, it was absolutely worth the freaking money. So stuff like that. Um, try to think, you know, uh, when I was setting up my range this time, I, you know, it's, you've seen my range. It's, it's a hundred meters long, about 50 feet wide. Um, and I had to, I probably cut down close to 50 trees, um, putting that thing up. And that took me about two weeks worth of work and my freaking back was killing me <laughs> all that other stuff. And, uh, that wasn't too bad because of the way I staged, I, I kind of like staged it out. Um, but I remember there is a, I had some proper, I had uh, my old property cleared out um, from my previous house and it cost me about two grand and they, they probably cut down about the same. So for the, for the same amount of work, they did it in a day and they got rid of all the stuff and they, and you know, it cost me 2000 bucks. Um, I mean, that was worth it. Um, I didn't have a, you know, I didn't have the equipment. I mean, the other thing to think about is when you do some of these tasks, you know, the, the tools cost a lot of money and people don't think about that. So like, you know, looking at for me to build the rest of my STI out, if I want to, like I've done everything on that car with the exception of, of, of pulling the freaking motor, splitting the case halves and, you know, doing forged everything and then up in the compression ratio, doing new heads, all that stuff. Um, I could do that. Um, I could also fuck it up, <laughs> waste a lot of money. And then I'm also going to have to go buy, um, all the tools to do it all, which is going to probably cost me another couple grand, or I can pay somebody who knows what the fuck they're doing. That's reputable to do it. Um, and then, you know, do it up to a point, like, you know, kind of talking about your house. So like, instead of me building my short block or my long block, I can go buy a pre-built long block from IAG for like nine grand. Um, that's expensive but it's a complete long block. I could pull out my long block, drop that one in, you know, there's like a kit that they have for all their break-in stuff. You can go through their process and, you know, I can do some of the work myself, but and also still save some money. So there's definitely a tiered strategy to that depending on what it is. 
you know, and it really depends on every person and how much of your time is it going to take? Because you're right. Time is money. Money is time. You can't ever get time back. You can get money back. Can't get time back. So, you know, that's kind of the position that I'm stuck in with the house in Texas right now is that, uh, you know, I got that buy item list back from the contractor, you know, uh, evaluating a cost for every service. And it's nice because it gives me kind of an understanding of what I want them to do and what I don't want them to do. Um, but there's definitely some price gouging going on and there's things that I can do that don't require a lot of tools. Demo is by far and away the easiest of them. I mean, physically demanding, but it's going to be the, you know, I don't require a lot of tools when it comes to, you know, reframing or running electrical and stuff like that. I'm going to need some specific tools that are in Alabama right now. Uh, so I, I think about stuff like that. And, and then our conversation about you wanting to put in a hydraulic lift. And I know when Jess saw your workshop, she was just like, absolutely what she wants just a massive space to work on she loves working on cars and and i enjoy working on cars but i think about the dollar investment of what you're talking about whether that's trenching it or putting in a a lift and then you while we do have tools they're just general maintenance tools if you want specific tools like you're talking about if you're going to work on cams or you're going to you know take the the pull the engine out and you need a crane or something like that uh or cherry picker um, those are not things we have. So I, I sit there and I look at what, how many thousands does that cost? How many thousands is it going to cost to get those? And then at the end of the day, I wonder how much time are we spending doing that? Is, is it being done as a hobby? Are we going to restore, you know, like just wants to restore a, a Volkswagen Beetle. And that's, that's all well and good. If, if that vehicle gets purchased and we end up doing a, a rebuild on something like that, then it makes sense. But if it ends up being one of those things where I have to ask myself, is, is this going to be a useful thing or is this something that i have just to what change the oil i don't r- really need it so at the end of the day that, that's kind of where i sit with some of the activities is how much money is it going to cost me up front for the the equipment to do this am i saving it on the back end um and is this something that i'm in genuinely enjoy and I'll, I'll use a lot or is it just like a one-off yeah yeah i agree i mean that's kind of <laughs> i mean you say you just buy something that change the oil that's kind of how every like weekend car is you know um i mean my sti i drive it probably once every two or three weeks and uh it sits in my shop and i drive it so the gas don't go bad <laughs> pretty much <laughs> right isn't it and, uh, well, gas out of that thing right now and, and sell it and you would have made a like a 50 percent profit on how much you have invested in gas <laughs> <laughs> Well, the other thing about that car is that thing flex fuel. So that thing runs on E85. Um, yeah. So I have to make sure I drive it because E85 doesn't last as long as gas. Um, and um, it also condenses and it'll collect, you know, like water. It'll collect like um, moisture and stuff. And uh, it can be bad for your uh, fuel system because you can actually get water inside of your fuel system. Um, so... You just got to be careful with letting that stuff sit, but, um, but yeah, you're, you're right. You know, a lot of these, I think, I think in order to justify something like that, you have to enjoy the process more than the product. Yeah. And, um, if it's that, if that's your thing where you enjoy the process, you enjoy just going out to the shop and working because it's kind of, you know, therapy, <laughs> I guess, or therapy, then, oh yeah, that's such, so worth it. But if you're just there for the end result of having a car, well, 
you know, I think there are easier and better ways of doing it, going about it. Yeah. So, you know, I, I look at what you guys went out and did with the, uh, the, the hybrid vehicles and, and kind of how a lot of uh, what you guys plan for kind of has, it's married well with the situation with uh, kind of the inflation that we're dealing with right now. And I'm noticing every single day how much more stressful finances are just with gas alone. It's, it's, a, it's like a whole other car payment. Like when we uh, first moved out here, our plan, when we started budgeting our, uh, the house was we, we budgeted our, our amount that we could, you know, comfortably pay. And then we, we cost, we, we cost modeled the, uh, the utilities, you know, the electric, the, uh, the, the gas with our commuting and our estimated mileage, uh, grocery, et cetera. And so we gave ourselves like, a, I want to say it was around, th- this wasn't including the money that I was putting away for the kids' savings. Um, so we still had like a $1,500, um, I'll say slush fund, but essentially that was to kind of have give just in case we got here and there was some unexpected expense. Um, and we got out here expecting at the time it was like two, I want to say it was like two ten for gas a gallon. And the, the electric was, I want to say it was like eight, eight point seven cents per kilowatt hour. And that was not something I ever expected. I, even in my wildest dreams, I did not think that we were going to get out here and we'd be seeing it's more expensive now for gas in Alabama than the gas we were paying in Hawaii. We were paying 365 or 370 in Hawaii when we left. And now we're out here. And it's like, I think the last I saw it was 409. It might be 412 now. <laughs> and I'm like, it's getting to the point where it's so expensive that we, we just can't afford to go places. We're like, no, we're not doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I would just say, um, I would, I would cue it up to, to me just being a, a paranoid wreck <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, this is this whole thing of, you know, I, I think a lot of this came from prior to me getting on antidepressants. <laughs> well. I, uh, Love I did that. I think. That, yeah, man. I freaking PTSD's freaking going off like haywire all the time. Um, but um, yeah, so I mean, you've seen my my shit. I got I, I got a tool for every situation almost. But right. uh, <clears throat> but uh, you know, I was I was concerned with what I saw after the election. I saw the policy gaps. I saw, you know, what COVID was doing. Um, my, my biggest concern that, that had me worry about it was supply chain issues. I was worried about um, inflation, hyperinflation and supply chain um, in the summer of 2021. Um, and that was mostly due to vaccine mandates starting to, starting to pop up. And, you know, um, people not being able to keep up. And so my guess was, well, I think, uh, you know, we're going to have logistic issues and logistic issues typically are going to cause, you know, prices to go up and coupled with, you know, unemployment and all that stuff. So I was like, you know what, um, at the time we had an SUV, we sold it because the payment was too high. We weren't using as much. And I was like, hey, you know, I want to diversify 
you know, my energy. So I did two things. I got, I got solar, I got a 14 kilowatt solar system because, um, because, you know, my entire house runs on electricity, um, you know, on my own well, on my own septic. And, yeah. you know, I wanted to reduce my energy bill because my energy bill was over 300 bucks a month. I did the math. We got a bunch of quotes and we got it, we got it narrowed down to, to, to where now, you know, my energy bill is like, like 50 bucks a month in my payment for my um, solar loan is 150. So I still came out ahead, you know, on the first month, you know, so I'm saving money, money there with energy. And the other thing is, you know, once I did the math, my interest rate is 0.9%. So over the, over the period of time inflation, everything goes up. Um, my, my bill is going to stay the same. So 150 bucks last year for energy, you can see it this year, which is, like that was a smart choice because 150 bucks back then gets you way more than 150 bucks today. So imagine where that's going to be five years from now. So that was kind of, you know, I I thought it was a good move no matter what. Now, if I would have been older or um, it wouldn't have made sense or the interest rate would have been higher, it wouldn't have made sense. Um, But uh, I think it was the right time. And the other thing we had the tax instead of, which has helped us out this year in our taxes. So um, there's that. And then my other concern was, well, I was looking, I was watching, you know, you know me, I like history a lot. I was reading a lot about, you know, the fuel shortages and stuff in the seventies and kind of looking at that as what could possibly happen. And I was like, you know what, my wife and I both have to do a lot of driving. Now, one thing I don't want is um, to have to be worried about not being able to go to work because I can't get fuel not being able to provide for my family. So I saw it as like existential like crisis. And I was like, well, electric cars are way too expensive. Um, and I was like, but you know what? I don't necessarily want an electric car. I just want flexibility. I want to use anything that's available. So I went ahead and went with a plug-in hybrid um, that had a decent range. So I went with that Honda Clarity. And the nice thing was it was way cheaper than, you know, you know, like a Tesla, you know, it wasn't any more expensive than like a Honda Accord. So I thought it was a no brainer. I mean, we get, you know, we get almost 50 miles of range on the EV side and, you know, it has a seven gallon gas tank and, you know, I can go over 300 miles and I can go down to Texas, no problem. And, uh, you know, I, that trip when I picked you up, I only spent like 15 bucks down and back. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. fuel, which is pretty awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, that was my idea. My idea is, is, I've come to realize over the past year, you know, having the, you know, getting out of the army and dealing with all that stuff and then leaving the air force for some of those other reasons that having the ability to be independent, um, I think gives you a lot more power and control over your life. And one of the things that I struggle with, and I think you most veterans struggle with once they get out is not having control. And then I, re- I realized how little control over my life I actually had. And so what I'm trying to do is all the little things that, you know, that I need to survive that I actually have control over a little bit more um, than I did before. So whether that's, you know, not have, you know, where my family is going to get water from, well, I'm going to get it from my well. Well, what if I lose electricity? Well, you know, I got, you know, I have, I have backups. Um, you know, I can, I can run my septic system and my well system off of my solar system if I have to. Now that's my plan to get battery banks, but shit, the stuff's so expensive right now. I can't, I can't justify that, but um, yeah, but you know, <clears throat> I, I kind of stumbled it. Like we didn't intend 
like I said, we, we kind of saw some of the writing on the wall, but I think that we, maybe this is my, my optimism. I kind of thought like, well, they're not going to go absolutely crazy. You know, when things get bad, they'll start putting, putting brakes on these, these uh, behaviors. And that's my fault for being optimistic and assuming that, that the people in charge would try to prevent themselves from being idiots. But uh, we, we found ourselves in a situation when we got out to Alabama that we, we wanted to buy a vehicle that got better gas mileage and was a good commute vehicle. So we we're looking at, I, can't, I think it was a, a enclave or something like that. It's kind of like one of those SUV meets a minivan meets something else. Was and, it a Pontiac Aztec? No, no, it wasn't that. I, I want to say it was a... <laughs> might have been a Buick Enclave. I can't remember. Real nice car. Um, just, um, it was one of those things like we, we took it in, it had all of the features, just wanted, you know, uh, leather seats, uh, auto drive, like the assist driving, um, heated cooling seats, third row captain seats in the middle and stuff. Really great car, had the tailgate assist. The problem was the first week after we got it, it had an issue with the remote start. So we took it in. Uh, it was kind of cold out here, took it in. Like, hey, remote starts not working. They kept it for like three weeks. Um, got it back to us. Remote starts working. The two days after we got it back, the hydraulics went out of the tailgate assist. And so we took it back up to the shop. And when we were going in, Jess was like, how do you feel about this? Because I used to have a Ford Explorer 2016. Um, and it started having electrical issues. And it was just like, nope, it wouldn't start. Um, it was one of these things where you'd be out and then you're just stranded because it won't turn on. And so I told Jess, I was like, I, I think the car was like 32,000 or 36,000. It was payment was around 580, almost 600 bucks a month. And she's like, well, how do you feel about this? And I was like, well, I don't feel real confident that it's been, um, less, less than four weeks or five weeks. And we've had so many electrical issues. It leads me to believe that it being used, there might be some kind of underlying problem we don't know about. Um, so we went ahead and exercised the, uh, it's like six weeks, kind of a lemon law thing where if a car doesn't work out, you can just return it. So we went ahead and exercised that return. We had to pay the fee, which is like $500 to have it shipped down from Illinois. But, uh, we ended up walking away from that situation. Um, and it's almost $600 a month that we're saving. And yeah, the gas mileage savings would have been nice, but when it's all said and done, the gas was 230 or 240 when we got here. Um, and it's just in that short period of time. Now it's up to where it's at. And I can't imagine having to pay gas on top of dang near $600, uh, car payment. So it just happened to be one of those things that worked out. But I think that had I, had, had I'd seen kind of like you saw like the, the supply chain issues or the, uh, the, the potential for, uh, gas, gas hikes that maybe we would have looked into, uh, some kind of used uh, uh hybrid vehicle i just is kind of against them because they typically are smaller and uh she likes room for the kids to have the car seats and everywhere we go we got to take the whole house with us so she needs uh, a lot of uh trunk space so that was that was the only thing that kind of well, away because she she basically she's like if she wants something it's going to be a big old truck <laughs> well i can say that luckily technology is going to keep is going to you know, I think is going to live up to what she wants because it looks like all of the new powertrains are pretty much hybrid or electric now. So, you know, if you guys buy another truck, it's probably going to be an electric truck. Yeah, I, so, I saw the Tesla made looks a lot like a like a cross between a Ford F one hundred and fifty and a Ram. 
And, and I really like the way the new Tesla truck looked. Uh, not that one that looks like, you know, Cyberpunk 2077. But I was thinking, I was like, yeah, if they can That's get the a one car, I like. What's that? That's the one I like. I, I actually pre-ordered the Cybertruck. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. But, well, it's bulletproof, man. Did you like it because it had the, you could get like the bulletproof glass option? No, I like it because the door, the entire, the, the outside body panels are all bulletproof against nine millimeter, 115 grain FMJs. Yeah, I mean, that's an attractive. Uh, I think that's cool. That's an ugly truck, man. <laughs> I think it looks, dude, what I want to do is I'd like to just, I, I'd like to keep it like that, but I wish it had going doors. And uh, I think it, and I, I wish I could get a license just out of time because it looks like it's from Back to the Future, which is so cool. Uh, <laughs> but the, that that or a gun turret. Perfect world. Your your uh, cyber truck would have reflective panels that allow you to turn on and, and have similar to like the stealth fighters where you can turn it on and it reflects back. You know whatever its background is makes it look invisible. Well, well, that was the other thing I was thinking about was getting it getting it wrapped in like flat black, make it look like a stealth, like an F one seventeen. Be kind of cool. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm open. I'm, I'm open for all those things. I'm also open for just getting it wrapped in green and making it look like a warthog from Halo. So, yeah. oh man, I, you know, I, I was pretty jacked up watching that uh, trailer. I, I think that looks really good. That Paramount came out with. Oh, we started watching it last night. Oh yeah. You were uh, good. Yeah, it's 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 graphic, which is cool. So like the first scene, you see the covenant come in, and they shoot this person, and you're like, oh, they're getting oh, shot with a laser. No. They get hit. It they get their leg gets hit, their leg blows off, and there's blood squirting everywhere. Like, oh shit! And then they <laughs> shoot somebody else, and they blow half of their body off, and you see it, and you're like, okay, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I heard. Um... Because I, I do like more realistic content, especially, you know, I, I, we were talking about that one Halo movie that was made a while back ago, where it was more in line with like the Academy. And um, I, yeah. I, similar to like Disney, when they made um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I recently heard that like they went back through and scrubbed it. And so there were all these scenes that were like, uh, you know, Winter Soldier throws a spear at one of the bad guys and, and it stabs her through the shoulder and sticks her to this like Connex. And there's another scene where one of the guys in the lab gets shot or something like that. And it's got blood all over him and his eyes are open. He's clearly dead. And they went back through and they scrubbed it where there's no blood. And like the guy's eyes are closed to kind of like, you know, PG, the PG 13. Um, yeah. And I just, I, I feel like it's like, come on, there's some stories that Disney has to understand. Like they, they have, don't they have rights to Deadpool? Like if, if Deadpool's in the MCU, I don't know if it's owned. Is it owned by Disney or Sony? I think it's Disney. Deadpool. Uh, I think Deadpool is. I'm trying to remember. I think Deadpool's Fox. No. No. Because he's not even in the same universe. Because Sony owns. I'm trying to remember who owns the X Men right now. I'm looking. At uh, you might be right, man. Uh, it's it's weird because it, I guess it depends on the time when it was created. 
And because didn't uh, D- Disney bought out a bunch of Fox. So it is in Marvel and it says in the bottom 20th Century Fox. Um, yep. But didn't Fox get because. Uh, well, maybe they, they don't they haven't released all their stuff. So I know Sony owns like Spider-Man and some of that stuff. Yeah. And then I think Fox owned X-Men. And I think that's who they bought. But I don't think they bought Deadpool. And so that's why in all the Deadpool movies, they like make jokes about the X-Men, but they're not like there, you know? So I was just using that as an example because I was thinking, you know, Disney buys everything up. You know, they bought Star Wars, they got Marvel and and they're slowly just kind of everything. (laughs) And if they go through and they and they just kind of PG all the material so that everything's kid friendly, it's like, no, that's let some material be the way it's supposed to be. Like we're watching a show about, um, a guy who's got a bionic arm and used to be some kind of KGB style um, super sleeper. The dude's a murderer. Don't, don't, you know, just because we want to have him portrayed as a hero. Now I feel like sometimes they take a story that's good and a character development or a story arc that's good. And then to make it like more acceptable to the mass, they water it down. And it's like, just, you know, not not everybody doesn't like the character. That's not the point is that, some people might hate him, but you can still remember all the characters that you love to hate. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. My, my current opinion is if it gets bought out by Sony, it's pretty much done. <laughs> Not Sony, well, it I mean, sounds like Paramount. It's pretty much. Uh, so I would say for Halo, um, that's cool. I mean, like, that's absolutely um, a good thing they did. Um, I think Master Chief and Halo, I mean, most video game shows and movies are terrible, yeah. to be honest with you. Um, it's, it's just hard to make something good that is just a shooter. And, you know, the acting, honestly, and the dialogue is kind of is lacking, but it's in, it's in spirit of the game, which is not much. Yeah. <laughs> so well, Master I Chief, depends, you know, I think. I guess it depends on the game, though. Because I, I mean, I'm sure you can think of a game where it's like the movie was excellent and then and it, it did well with the game. And then you can think of a movie, a game where the game was excellent, but the movie was garbage. And for me, that one was like, no offense to Resident Seth Evil fans, but I hate Resident Evil. Like, I love the game. Oh. And then I watched the, the movie and it's not like it was bad acting. It's not like the set was bad. It was just kind of like. It just it it's not something that translates from video game to movie well. So it's like even the first one was all right, well, but then two, three, and four, I'm like, stop it, stop it! You're beating a dead horse. Now, I think I think the issue with a lot of that stuff is the medium. Um, I am not one to believe that live action is the best medium um, to represent stuff. I, you know, I mean, if you want to, if you want to show that I think did a really, gr- really great job and bridging the gap between video game and show. Um, look at Castlevania. Um, Castlevania, the game, is an old Nintendo game. And it was a good game. But the the show was phenomenal. And I think the reason the show was phenomenal was because the medium was anime. I think, I think for complex stuff like that, like video games, I think anime is a much better medium yeah. Um, yeah. because you don't have to worry about the costs of CGI and all that other stuff and paying actors. 
Yeah, I, I think if your source material is rich, then you've, you're probably good for live action. I think The Witcher is a perfect example. If you look at the game, The Witcher, it's so deep. It would, I, I imagine it would be similar to like a Skyrim or a, an Elder Rings or something yeah. like that, where if the game is so deep, its lore has so much stuff that you can literally talk for hundreds of hours about all of the, the things that the game contains, then you're probably good to make a live action because you just have so much content. But if you start looking at like those old Sony video games, like um, yeah, like we're saying Resident Evil or Silent Hill, where half the game is just you solving a puzzle to find a key, um, <laughs> or or it's like maybe you have to change the lens. You know, I, I feel like um, they tried to develop a story with characters that weren't really relevant because they weren't particularly uh, present. Like the, the game and the movie didn't match up well because they weren't the same but they had like a, a taste. It was like a, a watered down version of resident evil. Perhaps if they did it in like a, what was that movie? Uh, a Henry something, a, a guy, Henry, it was like first POV, like first person shooter style. And he's running around. Like, oh, uh, it was a uh, hardcore Henry, hardcore Henry. Like imagine a hardcore Henry yeah. version of, uh, of a resident evil where that way you're getting it from the vantage point of first person. And that way it makes your angles of look, you can't look around corners or you're not getting like a, a zoomed out version of the, of the scene. So things that pop out and, and scare you in a, a horror type suspense movie has a little bit bigger impact. I don't know. You know, it's even a, uh, an interesting idea. Um, they kind of have it now is they have these VR video experiences where you experience um different things in virtual reality um and uh so what they have been doing is i know in syria and then they did it in some other i don't know if it was in iraq i'm trying to remember i think it would think they did it one or two times in iraq where um they had a 360 degree camera that they had these guys going out on patrol with and driving around with and uh and uh you know an omnidirectional microphone and then what they did is they put you in a, uh, they put it into a VR environment. And so you can literally be in VR and watch um, that thing play out in 360 degrees. And uh, it's pretty fucking crazy um, to do it. And because uh, they were, I, I was in this one that was Syria and there are some snipers on a roof and you're literally like looking around like you're there yeah. and it's, it's real. And then they went out on a patrol and went to a Humvee. And you're sitting down, you're like, you're looking around in the Humvee. It's cool. I mean, yeah, we're, we're getting I mean, so close to Ready Player One, it's not even funny. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, so, I mean, VR is cool. Um, I, I, I just, I just don't think it's, I don't think it is going to be what people think it is. Um, you know, I, I mean, my eyes get tired. Yeah. Um, wearing VR headsets, my hands get sweaty. Sometimes I'm just, I just don't want to get up and move around to play a game. Sometimes I just want to sit in my fat ass in a chair <laughs> and play StarCraft um, from, you know, uh, or play StarCraft Brood War, yeah. which, you know, you know, that's, it's just another thing. You know, so it's just, it's just one. Is if you have like a matrix style chair you can lay in and just get jacked into it and get intravenously fed 
so that you can just lay there and, and be immersed in the world, then that's where you want to be. You don't want to be standing up and running ready player one. No, I don't even want to do that, man. Fuck that. I don't want to get anything inside my body. And plus, <laughs> I'm still a dad. You don't want to do chip put in your I brain. Still, no, I'm not doing that. I still gotta pay bills. <laughs> I still gotta I still gotta pay to survive in the real world I'm in. Yeah. Well, so. I mean, the tech, the thing like I'm I'm interested in it just from the experience standpoint. Like I've done VR, but it's always that cheap, you know, crap you see at like an arcade where you put the thing on and you do some roller coaster. It looks like it was made out of uh, uh, Legos and, and it's just a terrible yeah. experience. You're like, Oh yeah, cool. Someone's blowing a fan on me and my chair is vibrating. Like awesome. Because I know that there's really good stuff out there um, and I'd like to experience it, but I'm not one of the, I don't want to drop the money that it would cost to, to get a good setup because I'm like, if I only use it once or twice, is expensive. back to the, uh, if, if I'm not using it routinely, then it's a waste of money. Yeah, so my, I, I, I got to fix one of my controllers. You know, I have a Valve Index, um, which I really like because it gives you finger tracking and um, it's, a, it's a nice system. It is wired. I wish it was wireless. It's not, but um, um, I do like it. Um, you know, that system was about 900 bucks plus, plus the computer, plus the games. You know, I built it like a $1,600 gaming computer to go with it. And, wow. um, you know, I think you said all in all. Called? castles or something like that mm -hmm. there you, you were talking about a game you had it was like castles and wizards and some something or another oh blade and sorcery yeah i i've seen people play that I, I gotta try that once but anything tech wise you gotta drag jess kicking and screaming she's never gonna go i i uh I don't even like Blade and Sorcery. Um, I mean, it sounds cool, but it's kind of like, all right, well, that was fun. I did it once. I mean, the games that I like, I like strategy games, um, and I like games that are just kind of fun. Um, I like, I like, uh, um, what's it, uh, Space Pirate Trainer, which is, you know, you're just pretty much playing Galaga in VR. Um, and then um, there's uh, some shooting games I like. I like Onward. Um, cause it's pretty realistic and, uh, I like, uh, um, this other space strategy game. We were like on the bridge of a ship, um, you know, you're commanding your fleet and fighting another fleet. There's a strategy in there. So that's fun. Yeah. And then there's also like just the silly games that are kind of cool. Um, but most of them, but honestly, when it comes to like the depth of the game, um, I find that it, it seems to me like the VR system gaming experience is more of like a, a group experience with people that you're with in your living room or wherever your space is. And I, I don't find it enjoyable as a long, like RPGs in VR, I don't think they are very good. I think um, just a standard RPG, you know, whether it's first person, a third person, or, you know, that high view um on a regular pc with a monitor i think is actually better um and you know first person shooters to be honest with you first person shooters are better in vr um uh after playing first person after playing you know onward and then going back and playing like call of duty it's like okay you know it's it's a completely different animal um yes. because people actually have to get up and move around and stuff and I'm not very good at Call of Duty, but I'm, I'm a lot better at Onboard, um, you know, because it actually you actually have to, like, do stuff and work with a team of people. And, 
you know, pie a corner and know how to actually reload your weapon and all these other things that are, you know, more, 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 um, more in line with what I already know. So. Yeah. I've always been more of the, uh, fantasy immersive, like storytelling stuff. So I, I, I tend to go the way of like, I'm right now, I'm absolutely in love with the Witcher three. And I also love that I waited. So (laughs) my new strategy is I just wait like two years until it's a greatest hit and it's on sale. I got, I got the Witcher three for like eight 99. (laughs) Like you buy the thing brand new. If I would have bought it two years ago, it's, it's like uh, 69 99 when it comes out. And so I've done that with like one game recently. And that was final fantasy seven, the remake. And I only did that because it was like childhood nostalgia. Yeah. Uh, was it any good? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was good. I, I really enjoyed it. I think that I it needs the rest of the story because it was only you know the game when it first came out back on PlayStation was a three disc thing, and so they yeah. have a ton of content, but it's only like the first quarter of the game. Um, but mm. no, I, I like the the immersive ones where it's you know. I, um, have you ever played Last of Us? Um, I have not played Last of Us. I, I've looked at it, but I've never actually played it. No, so it's it's uh, the games like that where you go in and you have like it's narrative driven. You have a storyline. You're kind of confined by the parameters of the game. It's going to push you in a direction, um, and you have to complete it to move the story along. I like that, and I like I like when there's also really good visuals with it. So it's like if you've got similar to monster hunter world where you've got these beautiful or horizons amazing things that are like huge forests and giant cliffs with with waterfalls i think if you can do that with the vr experience where uh you can escape and see a world that would never exist in real life like you go to a place where you're at the the top of a cliff and there's like dragons flying around and you know you're you're seeing a a field of lavender or something like that those are kind of the things that, uh, that I look for. And and I hope that, um, I I hope that VR, I I see the blade and sorcery kind of memes and videos. And I, right now it looks kind of blocky and choppy, but I I think maybe in a couple of years, we'll see stuff that's, that's really, really immersive and realistic and the shading quality is real good. And you have these massive similar to like sword art online where it's just like completely environments. Well, I mean, so yeah, they have that kind uh, to an extent. I don't think they really have MMO type stuff yet, um, but there are games that are very immersive. Um, Half-Life Alice is like that, or that Alex, Half-Life Alex is like that. Um, extremely immersive. Um, like you could pick up a pen on the ground and write on a whiteboard and it actually writes. Um, right. And uh, it's just, it's, that's just not my cup of tea. Um, you know, I, and there are a lot of people that like it and you would probably like some of that stuff. Um, and they, the other thing I like about VR is they have done these 360 degree environments of places you could never actually go to, or you'd never probably never get a chance to go to like top of Mount Everest or some of these different peaks where you can see these giant fields and these are real places and it looks like you're really there. Um, because these pictures were taken there and now you get to experience it or they have like the Louvre you can go walk through um, you can go see national historic sites and you know you can you, you can go look at the freaking pyramids and you can walk up to them and like actually see the yeah. scale yeah, I, that's I real they have that. about those like the touristy kind of uh, mm-hmm. virtual uh, they're real life environments but in virtual reality 
Yeah, I mean, honestly, you could you could get into a VR system um, if you go with the Oculus. Um, I don't like Facebook or the products, but I mean, the Oculus is affordable, um, and you could do that um, just to, to just to experience some of that stuff. Um, I, I I believe the Oculus is less than five hundred bucks for the whole setup. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you're squeezing there. You'd have to squeeze the car payment out of me. I don't know how many you know uses I would have to to have in order to justify it. But, uh, you know, I'm I'm looking, we're at, we've been going here now for about an hour and 10 hour and 15 minutes. Um, it being the first one, I think maybe we can, uh, if you want wrap it up at an hour and then, uh, yeah, kind of what our, our gigabyte constraints are and I'll, we'll kind of tweak it from here. Okay. That sounds good, man. All right. Well, I will, uh, I will cut this, this recording off and and we'll uh, be back here again. What, tomorrow uh maybe we'll see we'll see how <laughs> what the schedule looks like yeah <laughs> we'll work it out all righty all right bye all right, bye